Now we turn in God's word to Luke chapter 2, and we come this morning to verses 41 through 52 as we wrap up our mini-series through the first two chapters of Luke's gospel account. And just looking ahead, it is our intention to resume our study of Ezekiel next uh, Lord's Day morning. Our passage this morning takes us to one particular incident uh, in the life of Jesus uh, from Jesus' boyhood at the age of 12 when they were in Jerusalem for the Passover. And Luke alone, of all the four Gospels, Luke alone tells anything about Jesus between Jesus' infancy and the beginning of his public ministry at the age of 30. Uh, Between his birth narrative and by the time he's 30, Uh, We have only one snapshot of Jesus growing up as a man, and it is here in our passage this morning. Uh, This is Jesus on the cusp of his teenage years, and it should, uh, as a side note, be of great interest to you if you're a teenager uh, this morning aspiring to be an adult or a child growing up into teenage years. Uh, The thought that our Lord Jesus was once in your shoes, and the passage will tell you Uh, What was most important and precious to Jesus uh, as a boy growing up into mature adulthood? It tells you uh, what the desires of his heart were and what the source of Jesus' wisdom is and where that is found. And the fact that in the gospel he can make you like him as you come to know him. So it should be of great interest to you young people and it should be of great help to you if you're a Christian parent. Uh, Seeing Jesus entrusted to Uh, not by any means perfect home or to perfect parents, but nonetheless to a God-fearing, loving home committed to the means of grace and the spirit nurturing that seed in the child Jesus and Mary. Here is reclining for you what she treasured most in her heart as she looked back. The most important thing that you also want to see nurtured in your home by the help of the spirit, and it should be of immense delight to every believer here in this room. Because this is your Savior, a Savior who is truly and perfectly and fully human, filled with the Holy Spirit, that he's not some freak man dropped out of heaven, he's not some pretend man, he's not a superman disguised as a boy. This is the man, the Lord Jesus, a true man who grew and developed normally in every way as a man. So you can relate to him, and he can relate to you. Uh, He gives you the same spirit, and it is your great delight and greatest desire to know him, to know what he was like as a child, and to discover more of the wonders of the riches of the Lord Jesus in the gospel. So that's the uh, basic orientation before the reading and preaching of the word. This is why the Holy Spirit has breathed out this unique account for us so that we may come to know Jesus. Let's hear God's word, and we'll begin our reading just one verse before our passage in verse 40 in Luke chapter 2. The child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in that group, in the group they went a day's journey. 
And then they began to search for Jesus among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when, the, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Thus far, this reading in God's holy word, let's once again look to our God and seek his help and blessing. Let's pray together. Lord, our God, our Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would minister your word to us now by the power of your Holy Spirit, that simultaneously our eyes would be opened and the scriptures would be opened, and so that we may see Christ and you would make us more wiser unto salvation. In your grace and mercy, you would conduct that dialogue with our souls this morning. Pray that you would discern our thoughts and touch our affections and renew our will purify our hearts, and sanctify us more and more Christ-likeness. Lord, hear our cries, and we ask these things for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'm sure that if you're older, um, you can look back, and there are certain points and crises, maybe memorable events in your early years that as you look back on, you see how they have determined the trajectory of your life or how they were so indicative of what you would become later in life. And some of you can do the exact same thing for your own children, now all grown up or in your grandchildren. There are certain moments and events that express perfectly uh, who they are, that shape the course of their life as they developed into adulthood. And this was such a moment for the Lord Jesus, a very significant moment in the life of the Lord Jesus. This is a very telling moment from marriage point of view. And our passage, for that reason, is sandwiched by the exact same summary statement in verse 40 and verse 52, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. In essence, that's all you need to know about the Lord Jesus from his infancy to his adulthood, his growth as a man in wisdom in favor with God in his relationship with his Heavenly Father as well as physically. Jesus grew and developed and matured in every way as a normal human being. The passage highlights the fact that Jesus grew physically and intellectually and emotionally and relationally and most importantly spiritually. And incidentally, if that isn't true, if that wasn't true, if Jesus was not a normal 12-year-old boy, going through the normal human development in every way as a child, into teenage years, into fully grown adulthood, he could not be our savior. Here to look 
the gospel writer gives us a portrait of the Lord Jesus as recalled by his mother Mary, no doubt. And this is one incident in the life of Jesus before he turned 30 that we are given in all of the gospel records in a way that sums up who Jesus is as our Savior. This is the moment that made Mary realize that Jesus was in fact growing. Jesus growing as a 12-year-old boy, yet the full significance of that didn't fully dawn upon Mary initially. It is only as Mary pondered upon it and chewed on it again and again for the rest of our life that she continued to marvel even more deeply over the truth of who Jesus Christ really is, and he wants to tell others about it. He wants to tell us about the time when Jesus was left behind in Jerusalem. After attending the annual feast of the Passover, which they did as a family every year, as every faithful Jewish family did to worship God, and losing a child in that large city 80 miles away from their hometown of Nazareth, in that vast crowd, when surely thousands, hundreds of thousands of pilgrims would have been traveling. And you can easily imagine how a thing like that could have happened that would have caused them even to make a whole day's journey back to Nazareth without really realizing that Jesus, their boy, was missing. Traveling in large groups and caravans, at the time men and women tending to travel in separate groups, you can imagine the conversation between Mary and Joseph, Mary easily thinking that Jesus was with Joseph, and Joseph thinking Jesus was with Mary or with some other relative. I thought you were with Jesus. And after a day, the sheer panic and distress of knowing that their 12-year-old son was missing. And they turned around and went back to Jerusalem. For three whole days, we're told that they searched for Jesus. And that search is told quite briefly and yet through the lens of the mother's raw emotions. Like the woman in the Song of Solomon, Mary and Joseph, you can picture them frantically searching for Jesus for three days as they went about in the city asking around, have you seen him whom my soul loves? I searched him, but I found him not. Mary was probably even wondering, was this going to be the sword that pierces my soul as Simeon prophesied at the temple uh, shortly after Jesus' birth? And eventually, Mary and Joseph came back to the temple, and they found Jesus there, to their amazement, engaged in theological discussions with the teachers and expressing great spiritual insight and understanding that astonished everyone around him. This was Jesus, the boy, sitting, engaged in spiritual conversation, and all the pent-up emotions come bursting out of marriage lips upon finding Jesus. And so engrossed in the scriptures in God's house, Jesus was, and so anxious and distressed, Mary was in her soul. And Mary just burst out this question to Jesus, why have you treated us as such? We have been so distressed, searching for you. And Jesus said, and incidentally, don't lose sight of the fact that these are the very first recorded words of Jesus in all of the Gospels. Jesus said, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And we read that they, the parents, did not understand 
what Jesus was saying. And this is the incident that Mary treasured in her heart, permanently etched in her memory, lingering all her days in her mind, and she came back to it often later in her life. And this is the incident that tells us about our Lord Jesus as a true man, growing in wisdom, in favor with God and man, man and in stature. In a real sense, Jesus, as portrayed here, is the only normal human being. He was the only normal child, only normal teenager that ever lived in a fallen world. And your mind goes, wait a minute, how can Jesus be normal when he is the unique, only Savior, when he alone is sinless and holy? Yes, Jesus, of course, is pure and sinless, like unlike the rest of us, but and precisely because of that, Jesus is the only normal human being as created to be. Jesus, the perfect man who has come to save us as our Savior out of the effects of sin to restore us back to what is normal. What does normal humanity really look like as it grows and develops, unaffected by sin? What is it that he seeks to restore us back to? What is it that he seeks to work in each of us as children of God, men and women raised to the newness of life as new creatures in him? Well, in this portraiture of the Lord Jesus, there are four things that I want to highlight about the 12-year-old boy Jesus, the sinless, spirit-filled man, the only normal human made perfectly in the image of God in this sinful world growing. And these are four things that characterized our Lord Jesus and his life as a boy and growing and increasing more and more in Christ as he grew. And these are also four things, the same four things that Jesus begins to work in every child of God by his spirit, by his grace. So I want to note with you just four things out of our text this morning. And first, I want you to see Jesus' desire to be taught from the word of God. When Mary saw Jesus in the temple, the first thing that struck Mary, the thing that she's already and always observed in her own home, is Jesus' desire to be taught from the word of God. Uh, This love for God's word, uh, this desire to be taught from God's word, is what preeminently marked out this 12-year-old boy. And Jesus is sitting with a teacher, listening to them, asking them questions. He was excited about what he was learning from the scriptures. Whatever these fallible teachers could teach him from God's word, it goes to show you that Jesus didn't have some magical way of assimilating scriptures. He did not have some computer brain with the scriptures automatically pre-downloaded into his mind from heaven. At this point, Jesus had the intellectual capacity of a 12-year-old boy. And he had to learn the scriptures the same way that you and I learned the word of God. And here's the astonishing picture of the incarnate word of God delighting in and meditating upon God's word. Here's the picture shown in Isaiah chapter 50, how morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are being taught. And that was the perfect description of the Lord Jesus. The thing that dominated the heart of this 12-year-old boy just on the verge of teenage years, the thing that he was most passionate about was God's word. 
And here, this God-given hunger, appetite to learn everything from the scriptures, from the scriptures about the character of his heavenly father, about the character of his own ministry as the promised Messiah. He wanted to learn from the scriptures and be taught from it, which is always what the spirit produces in a person's life when the spirit begins to work. The desire for God's word is always going to be one of the first hallmarks of spiritual life. To be taught from the scriptures about God and about Christ. And it is happening in the life of this teenager. It is illustrated and exhibited, per, exhibited perfectly and sinlessly in the example of Jesus. But then the second thing you notice here related to the first point is Jesus' corresponding growth in the knowledge of God. And that's what amazed uh, his parents and the people around him the most. Not just that he knew and loved the scriptures, that, but that he was growing in his relationship with God, that in his humanity he's enjoying the depth and intimacy of relationship with his heavenly father, as Luke says, he's growing in favor with God more and more. And this is seen in the fact that he's not at the temple just listening to the teachers, but he's also asking questions and also giving them answers. And in his answers, displaying great insight and understanding and wisdom that come only by true knowledge of God and in true fear of the Lord. And the way Jesus is able to bring together different pieces of the scriptures and show all how they all fit together in a way that they had not considered and understood before, these teachers were absolutely astonished at Jesus' answers and insight coming from a 12-year-old boy. The knowledge and insight concerning God that are found in a child. And the way Luke is describing this scene, the scene of Jesus sitting among the teachers and the teachers being amazed, is really depicted with scripture. It's just as, written, as, it, is, as it is written in Psalm 119, where the psalmist says in Psalm 119.99, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I have understanding more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Well, that's fulfilled to a T in Jesus' growing up experience as a boy. Jesus has this understanding, insight into the knowledge of God because he meditated upon God's word. He kept his testimonies. He's wiser than teachers and elders. And the way Luke describes Jesus' development again and again is echoing what scripture itself says about wisdom and knowledge and spiritual life. Just as it is written in Proverbs chapter 3, where uh, the uh, proverb is given to the son, exhorting him not to forget teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments, so that, the father says, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And this is all happening in Jesus. Jesus is growing in wisdom, insight, understanding, in favor with God. As he grew in knowledge of God, he's growing in his relationship with God, all because he was memorizing, meditating upon God's word and God's character, practicing his precepts, being doers of the word, living according to God's precepts, and it's happening in a teenager's life. 
Incidentally, that's a, a note to you. Never ever to make the fatal mistake of underestimating a child's capacity for spiritual perception. A capacity for the intake of the God, word of God. Never make the fatal mistake of underestimating a child's capacity to understand the mystery of Christ and a real sense of the love of God in the gospel, growing in the knowledge of God, true fear of God, that is wisdom. Modern developmental psychology, secular humanistic education system, dumbed down ideologies of this world will all conspire to tell you otherwise. It'll tell you to squash in a person what should instead be nurtured, what nonsense this world spews forth. Don't let the patterns of this world squeeze your thinking and habits and instincts into its mold uh, in this area. There are so many reminders here for you, are they not? Reminders for parents, teenagers, children, Sunday school teachers, young married couples, grandparents. This is Jesus as a teenager growing in relationship with God and in knowledge of God. Now, this is a new year, a moment when you are finding it easier to make new resolutions. If you have fallen out of the habit of regular devotional reading of God's word, if you have fallen out of real spiritual, prayerful engagement with the preaching of God's word, what a stimulus and encouragement and spurring on uh, this word should be to you to get back into it in the new year for your own growth in your spiritual life. Because you see this happening in this normal child, Jesus. But then thirdly, I want you to see uh, here Jesus' love for the house of God. Not only he has a desire to be taught from the word of God, and not only is he growing in the knowledge of God, he's exhibiting this love for the house of God, the place where God meets with his people and pours blessings upon them. And again, Mary asked the question in a way that only a mother could. You can sense the a tone in marriage questioning, why? Your father and I have been searching for you. Why did you do this? And Jesus answers, why are you scampering all over looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Jesus' very first human words recorded in the Bible, here he's talking about a matter of divine compulsion. The word he uses is, I must be. I must be in my Father's house. It's a strong word that Jesus uses elsewhere to describe his God-given mission. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and scribes and chief priests, and be killed and rise on the third day. And Jesus says, I must be. And why are you looking for me? The Greek here uh, actually doesn't have the word house. The literal expression is, I must be in the things of the Father. So some translations, if you have, for example, the King James Version, may, may have rendered that verse as, I must be in my Father's business. Here Jesus is 
growing a, uh, showing a growing awareness of his identity as the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, which is getting all from the scriptures, and he's devoting his life to the cause of God the Father, to will and pleasure and purpose of God's, God the Father. And he says, this is where I must be, in my Father's house, attending my Father's business, doing my Father's will. And that was Jesus' answer to Mary and Joseph, parents who badly misunderstood Jesus. In fact, Jesus is telling his parents something that they already should have known from the scriptures. Did you not know, Jesus says? Did you not understand? Did you not understand I'm doing, I'm just doing what you yourself have taught me from the scriptures? Psalm 27, verse 4, that says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 8, You have said, Seek my face. Therefore my heart says to you, Your face, O Lord, do I seek. And Jesus is merely doing what the scripture uh, speaks of. And Mary wasn't prepared for that kind of response, for that kind of absolute spiritual consecration to the will of the Heavenly Father. Uh, Here's a point where a child is beginning to outstrip the parents in spiritual understanding, when a child is beginning to outpace the parents in love and devotion to the things of God. And I wonder, in your own home, if that were to happen, you know how you would nurture that. Now, as we mentioned, our passage is just uh, filled with echoes of the Old Testament scriptures. The life of Jesus is showing the patterns of the scriptures all embedded, especially in the Psalms. Psalms that we just quoted, Psalm 27, at the end of that psalm, even speaks about, my father and my mother may forsake me, but you, O Lord, will take me in. And Jesus must have been thinking of that psalm as Mary distressingly questioned Why were you doing this to us? Now, that's a note to you, uh, incidentally, how Christ-packed all of the scriptures are. Even the Psalms are all about Christ and mediatorial glories of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever we are gathering and singing Psalms, and the words of the Psalms do not thrill your soul, It's because you are not seeing Christ in the Psalms. Didn't our hearts burn within us, Lord said, uh, the disciples said, as he opened up the scriptures, beginning with Moses and the Psalms and the prophets and explaining to us everything concerning himself. Mary was so worried to hear. She vents out her emotions and Here is a response almost uh, mixed with relief and consternation at the same time. You can just uh, picture her lips quivering and still trembling when she said, Son, why have you treated us like this? It's just an understandable response after a mother three days with her son missing. And yet that's a very insightful cry that reveals a lot more beneath the surface. We all do it, don't we? One of those words that you just utter and you're looking back, you keep going back to them, pondering what on earth caused me to say that. 
or parents tempted to relate to a child more out of fear and anxiety over what could go wrong than by faith in what God would do. And the answer that Jesus gives Mary concerning her son is, don't you understand that I must be in my father's business? When you are understandably worried, do you not know that I am under my heavenly father's care and protection? What a word of comfort and assurance to all the parents. Speaking, Jesus speaking to his own mother, do you not understand I am in my father's business. Actually, that's a question that so many believers also ask in moments of distress when you're met all of a sudden with sudden tragedies or maybe prolonged trials or disappointments. Jesus, why have you dealt with us? Why have you done this to us? And the answer Jesus gives his people in the gospel is exactly the same. Don't you know that I must be about my father's business. Whenever you're distressed by the providences of God, do you not know that in ways that you may not understand, I am pursuing my father's cause in your life. It's all part of the father's plan in the divine mystery of his purposes. I must be in my father's will and purpose to bring you closer ultimately to me. And here Jesus is showing something greater, a greater desire and allegiance even beyond that towards his own earthly physical family. He loves to be in the Father's house. Zeal for God's house consumes me. Did you not know that's where I must be, Jesus says. In my Father's house, there's a greater family that I'm called to bring into being than the family of Joseph and Mary. I must be found in the temple. Now, of course, the old covenant physical temple in Jerusalem is now defunct because it served its purpose. Its uh, shelf life has expired. But the house of God is not because Jesus is risen again and his spirit is given. And the Bible says we, God's people, are his house. And Jesus remains the same in his devotion and love for his house. He still loves to be in God's house. Jesus loves his church. In fact, he must be in the Father's house that he's building. Jesus is the one who is set over God's house, Hebrews chapter 3 says. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob, more than all the places where the believers can be on earth. The Lord peculiarly loves the gates of his own house. His peculiar love is shown towards his gathered body, the church, and he says, I must be in my father's business. And when the Spirit of God is at work in this teenager, when the Spirit of God is at work in a teenager, in any child, in any adult, the same kind of desire is born within their spirit. They can't get enough of being in God's church with God's people. In fact, that becomes something of a divine compulsion because this is the house where the Lord Jesus himself must be present. There I love to be. So many believers going through spiritual barrenness or perhaps feeling distant from Jesus, maybe conscious 
of the sense of the absence of Christ in their own spiritual walk, or even a sense of being abandoned by Jesus without being forsaken by Jesus. They all seek for Jesus all over the places like Mary and Joseph, when all along Jesus was sitting in the temple and Jesus says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? This is the house, isn't it, brothers and sisters, where through the appointed ordinances, the means of grace, the word, prayer, and sacraments, Christ manifests his presence to his family, the house of abundance out of which the word of God is spoken, the house of prayer that God has ordained, and the banqueting house where we come to taste and feed upon the Lord Jesus. Jesus loves God's house. He loves the church as a 12-year-old boy, as a 33-year-old man, laying down his life upon the cross to save his church, and also as an exalted Lord and King reigning at the right hand of his Father. His love is set upon the Father's house to do the Father's business. And he will make his dwelling with his people. And that kind of love and devotion to the church that we see displayed by this 12-year-old man, that's actually very normal, isn't it? That's actually very normal. It's sin that makes worldliness look normal. So Jesus' desire to be taught from the word of God, Jesus' growth in the knowledge of God, Jesus' love to be in the house of God. But then fourthly, finally, I want you to say Jesus' desire to be submissive to the authority of God. After all this, Jesus, they returned to Nazareth, and he continued to grow through teenage years. And verse 50 uh, two, uh, 1 and 52 says Jesus was submissive to his parents. Now, children and teenagers, here's a word for you. Your Savior obeyed his parents in the Lord. And why did he do that? Why did Jesus, the sinless man, obeyed his parents who need to be saved, who are filled with sin? It's because Jesus, first and foremost, was obedient to the Heavenly Father because this pleased the Lord his God because he was submissive to God's authority. He submitted to his parents because he submitted first and foremost to his Heavenly Father. Jesus was the only child, the only normal child who did not need to be spanked for disobedience. Next time your parents are trying to discipline you. Just remember that that your hope is in this perfect man who never sinned. And Jesus was the only normal teenager who never once needed to be disciplined, corrected, or rebuked. And just remember that when next time your parents have to correct you and discipline you for your good. That you have a Savior whose perfect record is your only hope as you seek to be obedient and submissive just like the Lord Jesus. You have a Savior who gives a new heart that wants to submit to God's authority. So Jesus as a man lived in submission to God's authority as we all should and in fact we do when the Spirit of God is at work in us. God's authority in the home, in the church, in the state, we become submissive to God in these different spheres out of our obedience to God the Father and out of reverence to Jesus Christ. And Jesus would grow in the submissiveness to the authority of God 
all the way to the end. And his submission to the parents was just a small part and slice of his submission to God the Father. And as he grew in his submissiveness to God the Father, his authority, that submission would take Jesus all the way back to Jerusalem year after year. He would make the trip to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover until 21 years later in submission to God the Father, in the intimacy of his relationship with the Heavenly Father, all nurtured and nourished by the scriptures, Jesus would go all the way to the cursed tree on the cross in order to lay down his own life to save sinners. And that's Jesus, the only normal man unaffected by sin, come to save all those who are affected with sin. And so the point of all of this uh, is that he is all of that to you as a savior. He is all of that to you, the man who loves God's word and loves the house of God and loves to grow in the knowledge of God and loves to submit to God's authority, not primarily so that you can imitate him, but so that you can be saved by him from sin and be transformed by him back into normalcy, what true human being made in the image of God should look like. And as he gives you the same Holy Spirit, he's meaning to restore you more and more to the image of God, to true humanity, to give you life that is truly life, to normal humanity, humanity that hungers after God's word, humanity that is enjoying the growing relationship with God, growing in favor with God, humanity that's filled with love for the presence of God in his dwelling place, in his house, and humanity with submissiveness to the authority of God. And Jesus has come to be the Savior. So that's all that we get about Jesus' childhood, his teenage years, and his young adulthood. And Jesus annually, still after his 12th birthday, made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, 20 times later, he himself would be the Passover lamb slain. And because the Passover lamb is slain, Scripture declares us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, brothers, let us keep the festival. Old covenant people annually making that pilgrimage. And because the real thing has come, because the Passover lamb is slain, brothers and sisters and church of God, the charge that comes in the Scripture is for us to keep the festival. He's risen week after week, Sabbath after Sabbath, Lord's day by Lord's day, as Christ and him crucified is proclaimed. There are such riches of Christ that are found for you, and it is in him alone that are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and it is in Christ that you will be more and more put back to normalcy. And the question is, do you see them? Jesus himself saw them as a 12-year-old boy. And Jesus himself kept growing in them. Do you have eyes to see them? Mary and Joseph frantically searching after three days, finding Jesus. How all the more joyful we should be. Jesus crucified, but three days later risen to be your Savior. And he reveals himself to you in God's house as the gospel is proclaimed. And he means to bring you 
back to true humanity. Or may God richly supply the riches of Christ to us by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together.